It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, friends of animals out there, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewitt, and I want to thank you for tuning in this lovely morning. Last weekend, I had the pleasure of meeting a great many listeners at Pet Expo, which was held at the Orange County Fairgrounds. I really enjoyed talking with all of you who took the time to pop on over to our booth and say hello. I know a great time was had by all, especially the hundreds of animals who ended up with new homes and families as a result of this three-day extravaganza. I also had the opportunity to meet a whole lot of folks who work in some fashion in the pet industry, either pet health, rescue, training, and products. I've invited one of those people to be a guest on the program today because I was so impressed with what he does. We'll be speaking with Chase Merritt of Limitless Design, who is an artist that can transform wire into the spitting image of your pet. He had the most amazing wall hangings on display at Pet Expo, and I really want you to hear all about what he does. Then, after our halftime break, Ed Grace... Deputy Chief of Law Enforcement for U.S. Fish and Wildlife will be stopping by to talk about the amazing service of dogs in his department that help detect illegal wildlife shipments. It's a pretty amazing story that you won't want to miss. This and more are coming right up, so stay tuned to the Pet Place on K-Mozart, and we'll begin after a very quick message from the station. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and joining me now is Chase Merritt, the owner and artist-in-residence for Limitless Design. Good morning, Chase, and welcome to the Pet Place. Well, good morning. I saw a lot of your beautiful work at Pet Expo last weekend, and I have to say I was really, really impressed. There were so many beautiful metal sculptures of the faces of animals, and I just could not believe what I was seeing. And being that this is radio, it's a little hard to describe. So I'm going to let you try and take on that job. Well, the, the designs that we do are out of uh, solid steel. We use uh, hot roll uh, flat bar to do the designs. Uh, each piece is uh, started just simply one line at a time. We actually bend each line individually out of steel put them together, and make the scene. So if you want a golden retriever or, or a, a horse or whatever, whatever, you, whatever scene that you want, we'll take a photograph or a design from our customers and literally draw it out of solid steel. Wow. Each line is hand-bent, cut, and welded in individually to make the entire picture. Um, then we can incorporate it into headboards and footboards or uh, wall art with, as wine racks 
or dog bowl holders or uh, bird perches or whatever whatever the customer uh, so desires. I heard a rumor that you did an entire gate for Jennifer Aniston. Yes, I did. I've done I've done a lot of gates for a lot of people, a, a lot of celebrities. Um, my product is is very very specialized. Uh, no one else in the country can get the detail out of steel that I can that I can. So um, when a customer wants something that is very highly unusual as far as art in steel and design in steel, generally. Uh, about 80% of the time, it ends up in my lap. What do you mean by that? I end up, basically, I end up doing either the entire project or uh, a, the company that is doing the project, an ornamental iron company that's building a gate for a, a customer or building a fence or a piece of furniture. They'll come to me and have me do the design work, actually do the steel like if they want a giraffe in their in their fence, or if they want a if they want their favorite pet or their children or whatever it is, and they want it drawn out of steel, the, the companies come to me and let me do the design. Okay. And then they take those designs and incorporate it into their work. So you're the go-to guy of the metal sculpture world. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, yeah, there's there's really nobody else that can do it. So uh, at, at least not to the extent that uh, that I. I've uh, developed the process. It's uh, it's a very unique process, definitely. Do you have a background in art? Tell me a little bit about your history and how you got involved in all of this. Actually, I've owned uh, a company called iDesign for years and years, and uh, I specialize in designing new products, taking them and taking them to marketplace. So, uh, whether it be artistic or just um, uh, products that are useful. Um, to the general public, that's that's where my background uh, mostly stems from. I, I design products, set up production techniques, advertising campaigns, and then um, put them on the market. These products are um, kind of a brainchild from almost 20 years ago. I started doing them, and uh, uh, off and on over the years, I've been uh, getting out of it and going back into it because I loved it so much, and and now I'm kind of back into it full time because I just couldn't find anything that I liked more. Wow. How do you actually, I mean, it seems so difficult. How do you actually work with metal to get such detail in your finished sculptures? Well, then I would, I would, I would tell you, but then I would have to kill you. Okay. I'm scared now. Every piece is, is, you know, it's kind of like uh, when you when you go to bend a piece of steel, you you just simply have to make absolutely sure that every single line that you bend is accurate. Uh, sometimes it takes an enormous amount of time to make it perfect. Sometimes it's sometimes not. Um, I've developed a process that makes it much much faster and easier. Um, they're all still hand bent cut, uh, and cut by hand with a hand shear. But uh, I've gotten very efficient at it over the years, just just much more efficient than I used to. If somebody was going to get the face of their golden retriever, let's say, and they want it to be maybe two feet by two feet, 
about how long does something like that take you? Um, depending on how busy I am. Uh, as you know, we just did the Pet Expo. Uh, we're very, very busy right now with a lot of custom orders. So our custom orders are taking between three and five weeks right now. Um, if you called uh, in about three to five weeks, more likely I would quote you somewhere close to three weeks. Okay. No, no more. Okay. And what? T- take me through the process. What's involved? What would the client need to give you so that they have an end product that they're real happy with? Either just simply an idea, um, because uh, one of the things that I do when when a client comes to me, I sit down with them, get their get their general idea of what they would want. If they don't have pictures or they don't have something that they can show me. I just ask them to describe the feel or the, the 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 type of product that they're interested in, and then I take it from there. Um, generally, if I take a project on, I will look at the customer and say, if you are not completely happy with the finished product, I will do it over. Wow. Because because even even if they don't have a picture to go by or whatever, I've been doing this for enough years. I can generally get what the customer wants. I, I, If you listen closely enough and, and you look at the uh, other things that they've done around their home and so on, um, you can pretty much zero in on what the customer likes, the colors and the shapes and so on. And so um, I feel pretty confident most of the time that I can guarantee the product when it's finished. And, and basically I would just take the idea or a picture of their favorite pet or their or, or whatever it is and then uh um hand draw a a sketch from that and then from the hand drawn sketch I I bend each single line individually and then weld them together and, and make the the final scene. Would you email them a copy of the sketch first to get their approval? Generally not because for the most part um the finished product looks much, much different than the than the sketch itself because the sketch is a, is basically just a line drawing. Where once I finish uh, the the piece out of steel, it is somewhat more three dimensional, okay. um, and it looks so much different that um, the customer may not like the the line drawing that I show them, and absolutely love the the, the finished piece or love the love the line drawing and and not like the finished piece. So I generally try to just do the entire project and then just hand it to them. I have to um, say it is quite something the three-dimensionality you get out of the wire sculptures. I it looks like it's just popping right out of the wall. At well, least the ones actually, that I saw at Pit Expo. Actually, it's not it's not wire at all. Um the, the material that we use is um 5/8 inch thick by, or I mean, sorry, five eighths inch wide by three sixteenths thick. Okay. And and eighth inch thick flat bar, very 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 heavy steel. Um, and it 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 makes for much much deeper dimension in the in the finished products, and virtually indestructible. Um, you can put the put the designs in fences and gates and furniture and um, the last many many lifetimes. Now, does somebody have to actually, since these are so heavy, does somebody have to actually pick these up from you when they're completed? 
No, they don't have to pick them up. We can ship them anywhere, uh, anywhere in the world. Wow. And, and reality, they're they're for the size and and what they are, they're not all that heavy. For a two foot by two foot piece, you're probably still only talking somewhere in the uh, eighteen to twenty pound range. Okay. So they're 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 reasonable, and um, if you're hanging the piece on a wall, um, we apply the brackets and everything, and it's. Uh, a very simple process. Okay. And do you have any special pets in your life that sort of inspired you in the direction of making pet sculptures? Not really. Um, I, I would love to say so, but no, um, pretty much just a drive to um, to um, perfect the, the type of sculptures that I'm doing and to zero in on markets that are the most applicable to uh, and, and are going to be the most receptive to um, these type of products. Um, pet products are um, obviously, there's a very, very large market for them. So um, I started doing the, the pet bowl holders and the, the bird feeders and things like that because of the market. It, it really didn't have anything to do with the, <laughs> my my personal pets, just simply finances, I have to say. Oh, okay. Well, if you are interested in pets, I can certainly hook you up with a few. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I actually just got a new one. I have a, a little uh, um, chihuahua, and uh, she, she's only 11 weeks old, so <laughs> yeah. she's my little baby. Does she uh, hang out with you when you go to your various job sites? She's sitting right next to me right now looking at me. <laughs> well, that's good to know. She's your inspiration from a artist perspective. Hey, exactly. I, I wanted to ask you also, a lot of the businesses that we've been in touch with over the years on Pet Place do try and give back to the pet community, pet rescues, shelters, that sort of thing. Do you have any plans on helping out shelters and rescues at some point? Oh, absolutely. We actually are doing it uh, kind of ongoing now um, through my distributor, uh, Jordan Cohen, um, and because he, him and his wife are very, very uh, uh, close to the um, dog, mostly the dog world. Um, they do dog training and uh, do a lot of uh, a lot of benefits and stuff. So through them and through the different shows that we're doing. Um, we are giving giving pieces to the uh, different nonprofit organizations so that they can auction them off or or sell them to sell them outright so that they can uh, um, help save some of the dogs and cats. And well, uh, matter of fact, I just gave one to a, a guinea pig uh, place that that <laughs> saved guinea pigs at the show. I was like, you saved guinea pigs, really? They, and so I, I gave them a dog um, at, the, at this last show at the Pet Expo. Oh, that's so, wonderful. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Well, that it sounds like you're doing great work. And let's give everybody your website before I let you go. It's uh, www.limitlessdesign.org. 
Excellent. We need to take a very fast break now, but when we return, Ed Grace from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Department has a real interesting story to tell about his four-legged officers in the department that protect wild animals. So don't go away, because we'll be right back on K-Mozart. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett, and with me now from U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is Deputy Chief of Law Enforcement, Ed Grace. Good morning, Ed. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm really happy that you were able to be here today because I read a press release about your wildlife detector dog program, and I'd like you to tell our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, we just started a wildlife detector dog program. Uh, as you can probably see out in the, you know, in the press and from news stories, is that right now there's pretty much a epidemic or a crisis taking place that's dealing with, you know, the poaching or the smuggling of wildlife parts and products, and and especially when it comes to, you know, such animals such as elephants and rhinos, wow. which end up being poached for their horns or you know, the ivory from their tusks. And, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to utilize the scent of, you know, canine teams or dogs that have, you know, a greater developed sense than our human wildlife inspectors do. And and this will allow our canine teams to search, you know, thousands of boxes in a shorter period of time than our wildlife inspectors can. So, you know, these canine teams could go to, say, LAX uh, and look at a lot more luggage or cargo uh, in a shorter period of time than our normal wildlife inspectors can. And hopefully it will result in, you know, more seizures of uh, parts or products made from endangered species so we can help stem the you know, the amount of poaching taking place in the world. Why do you suppose there's been such an increase in this? Well, I th- anything with wildlife parts and products, it, it really comes down to value. And rhino horn right now, here in the United States on the black market, rhino horn sells for anywhere from, you know, ten to $20,000 a pound. By the time that rhino horn reaches Asia or China, uh, somewhere over there, the rhino horn, which typically weighs anywhere from about 18 to 20 pounds, could be worth half a million dollars. Wow. And, and any time you put profit or attach profit to uh, a species of animal, it, it's going to lead to the unscrupulous part or the criminal element that's going to want to profit off that animal, which then, you know, helps lead it to, uh, you know, possible extinction or decline in that species. I'm really disheartened to hear that this is on the rise. I thought that people were finally becoming a little more compassionate about this sort of thing. I guess I, I that's think not people, the case. Well, I think people are becoming a little more compassionate. Uh, the, the problem is, and what we deal with in the Fish and Wildlife Service, is you have two segments of the population that de- deal in wildlife products. You have one segment uh, that are people that are dealing in wildlife products uh, unknowingly because because they really don't know that there's a law that protects that species. And and what happens is, say someone goes on vacation, they go down into Mexico, 
they go a tourist goes into a store and they see a sea turtle shell uh, that's for sale and a sea turtle is an endangered species and there's no trade allowed in sea turtle parts or products to uh, help protect the species mm-hmm. but that but that tourist didn't know uh, that that was an illegal item and and what we try to do there is we try to educate the public uh, and one of the ways is this is a good example is going on your radio show is is to help the unknowing person uh, not go you know to another country and buy a product uh, that's made out of an endangered species they need to ask questions uh, when they see these items for sale but then there's the other side of the you know uh, group which is the you know organized criminal elements that are dealing in wildlife products for uh what is it profit and those are the ones that our special agents uh will do you know criminal investigations to prosecute those individuals uh and bring them to justice uh so they stop dealing in these products i think that's terrific and it's wonderful that you're using dogs to help you in this how do you select the dogs that end up in your program? Well, the USDA, we sent our uh, wildlife inspectors and our canines. Uh, we have four canines right now. We sent them down to the USDA training facility down in Georgia. And, and how USDA selects the dogs for the program is, you know, they go out to shelters and they go out to breeders and private owners nationwide uh, and what they're specifically looking for is they're looking for, you know, beagles, beagle mixes, or Labrador retrievers. Okay, dogs that have a real good reputation for using their noses. Correct. Okay. And, and, and the difference between, you know, like a beagle, a beagle would be used uh because it's not an intimidating dog, would be used in, say, a passenger terminal, where it's around people all the time. While a Labrador Retriever, which is a larger dog and has the ability to jump up and get to places that a Beagle could never get to, mm-hmm. a Labrador Retriever would be used in a cargo facility or behind the scenes on a conveyor belt with you know, suitcases or boxes going across the conveyor belt. Now, how long have you been using dogs for this? This is the first time the Fish and Wildlife Service has used. We we had a program with one dog in the early 1990s, but this is the first time in U.S. history that the Fish and Wildlife Service has developed wildlife detector dogs that have gone through an intensive training and certification process. Okay. And how successful do you figure the program is going to be? Well, we're hoping it's going to be very successful because the issue, you know, we have with the Fish Fish and Wildlife Service, and as everyone sees that budgets are declining and sequestration is taking place, that we know we're probably not going to be able to increase our workforce uh, very much over the next few years. So what we're hoping is by using canines and their, you know, amazing ability to sniff things out, is that that will be a force multiplier for us and and will really increase the amount of seizures we make and give us the ability to make more criminal investigations and to help protect this wildlife. 
Outstanding. Where are these dogs? I know there's just a few of them right now. Where do you plan for them to be deployed, or is that top secret? <laughs> no, the, the first four dogs are going to be based in uh, Los Angeles, Miami, Chicago, and Louisville. Uh, and then they will probably go to, to some of our other ports, uh, you know, maybe once a month. Uh, and if the program is a success, then we will try. We will try to train some more dogs and put them into some other ports of entry. That's very cool. And I was real happy to hear that you go to animal shelters to locate some of the dogs for the program. Are you looking for a strong play drive? Is that the kind of characteristic that you're in tune with when you're finding the perfect dog for this program? Exactly. That's one of the main things that we are looking for. Is you know. For a dog to be good at what it's uh, trying to find, it, it must be fun for the dog, and it must be, as you said, play for the dog. It becomes, you know, a game for them. For us, it's work. For them, it's, you know, it's enjoyment. It's a way to get a reward. It's a way to, you know, exercise and have fun during the day. Do they live with their handlers when they're not working? Ours do not. Ours are in kennels while they're working dogs for, you know, right around probably five years. And then when they're retired, uh, our handlers will adopt them. And they will probably live with the handlers for the rest of their lives. Well, that's really, it's an outstanding program. I, I wish you the best of luck with it. And so far... What has been the most amazing story you can tie in with this program? I don't have one right now because they just graduated three weeks ago and head to their duty stations this week. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we're going to have to check back with you in about six months or so and, and find out what the progress of this program has been. Right, and we will be more than happy to hopefully... What does it show you the successes that we've had? All right. That sounds outstanding. Well, dogs do so much for us as human beings, and with your department, they're doing so much more for wild animals, and it is truly amazing. So I'm thrilled that you were able to come on the show today and talk about this tremendous program. No, thank you for having us. It's time to take our last break of the morning, but when we return, be ready for Pet Place News and Events here on K-Mozart. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Okay, I admit, I try and find some unusual pet-related events for you from time to time, and I think you're really going to enjoy this one. On Saturday, May 4th, from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. in Anaheim, you won't want to miss the 13th Annual Koi Growing Contest. For all you koi fish enthusiasts out there, this is an event that you just have to attend. Judging categories include Super Growth, Best Finished, Best in Gosenkis, Best Pattern Fish, Best Non-Pattern Fish, Tatagoy, Judges Award, and Andy's Favorite. For more information, visit www.andrewskoi.com. Well, that's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on K-Mozart. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please stay or neuter your pets and have a wonderful day.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.